DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by RSL goalkeeper Nick Romando. He's joining us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Nick, good morning. Good morning. So the countdown is on. You announced your retirement uh, at the start of the season, and now it's down to four games left. You're in a playoff race. It's really tight. A lot of different things could happen. Do you feel retirement looming, or does it feel like late in any other season? Um, no, it's definitely there. Um, I wanted to uh, announce it uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, uh, just to just to get off my back and just to have some time to kind of digest it all and, and you know, win, win or lose the season, that this was a decision that I made. Uh, a long time ago, and, and um, I'm good with it. And, and now it's with four games left. Uh, it is creeping up on me, uh, but it's a, a exciting um, next couple of weeks to, to take it all in and to get give everything uh, I have and, and uh, get to those playoffs. So when we look back years from now and people say, who was the original goalie goalkeeper for RSL? People are going to say your name, even though you weren't. I think you play, actually played in the league six, seven years before you came over here. And I think you came over here in the, the, uh, the, league, the team's third season. But how much is it going to mean to you going forward that from now on until whenever, you're going to be recognized, probably along with Beckerman, as one of the pillars of this franchise? You know, I think I, I put my time in here uh, for sure. Um, you know, won a, won a trophy here. I think I represented the, the club, you know, in the city city well. So uh, it, it's going to mean, uh, you know, a lot to me to, to go to these games when I'm not playing. Um, more importantly, to, to have my kids see it, um, uh, the legacy that, that I left, and, and hopefully they could uh, be proud of that. So what do you think uh... – what do you think you're going to be doing in retirement? I mean, your L.A. roots run pretty deep. Do you move back to California? Do you stay here with your kids know this is home? What do you think you're going to do? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's there's some options right now. Um, a couple teams have, have reached out. Um, I would love to, to stay in the game, obviously. Uh, I think it's my duty to give back uh, to this next generation and, and help groom. Um, what's next in soccer in America? And um, but I haven't, um, you know, put my put my finger on just one thing. Uh, I'd like to dabble in a couple of things and, and feel what I have, you know, passion about. Uh, I think there's some surgeries uh, <laughs> in the near future that that I'll have to um, get done and and uh, just go from there. And, and um, um, obviously, I think I'm going to miss the game right now. I, I think I'm in a really good spot and. and um, happy with my decision uh but come next year seeing the guys go out to the field and, and watch the games on tv i know i'm gonna miss it um that's that's no doubt but um i think my body's gonna be a, a bit more happier next year yeah you're 40 years old now you've been in this league for a long long time uh as far as mls goes i think you've accomplished pretty much everything you know you got career records and shutouts and wins and saves and all that stuff is there anything that you feel like you didn't do on the field that you would have liked to have done obviously you want to win more but you know nobody can everybody wants to win more but anything particular to you that you feel like you would have liked to have done I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's small details, but 
I wish I would have took a PK in Kansas City in, in the MLS Cup. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> Uh, I wish uh, we would have won the, the CONCACAF uh, Champions League here in, in front of our, our fans. Um, maybe dabbled in, in playing abroad somewhere. Uh, the opportunity came, came about going to Mexico at one point and, and, and Holland. Um, but all in all, when I look back to my career, it, it's something that I, I can't be too, too disappointed about. It. It's something that uh, I never thought I would be playing uh, 20 years uh, in Major League Soccer season both of this league. See where where it is today, and, and um, I can look back and be happy about that. And, and um, yeah, I mean, there's always would have, could have, should have, but um, I'm happy with what I've done in this Nick Romando, RSL goalkeeper, joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So it's going to be the 10-year reunion of the team that won the MLS Cup in 2009. And you're going to have a lot of guys back, and they're going on the team. And I notice it's set up for the LA Galaxy game. So, you know, as big a crowd as possible, as, as revved up and as hyped up as possible. And they'll be looking back, and you'll be playing a big game, so you can't look back then. So I want you to look back now. You're known for stopping penalties for all the records and the trophies and going to the World Cup in 2014. You're really known for a freakish ability to stop penalties. And it was on display not just in the final, but in the Eastern Conference final against Chicago. How, how do you do it? Can you tell us now? <laughs> I got a couple more games left. <laughs> you never know, right? That might have to, might have to, to wait till after the season. Uh, no, it was it's definitely, like you said, there's no secret that that was one of my um, uh, good abilities of being a, a, a goalkeeper. And, and um, luck obviously has something to do with it. Uh, but there are some other you know tricks that, that uh, I was able to kind of come up with through the years that, that, that helped me out uh, in those situations. So, um, you know, back then, that, that was a big part of our run, and, and I was kind of happy that, it, that all of those, uh, you know, the skill, the luck, everything came together um, to lift that trophy. Um, but, yeah, I guess uh, that was uh, something cool that, that I added to the, to the position. Yeah, you say you got a couple of tricks and maybe some luck. I'm wondering, though, how much of it was based on preparation and study to be prepared for the moment to be able to execute what you needed to do? To be honest, I'm doing more preparation now than, than ever uh, for those kind of moments. And luckily this year we haven't had too many of those uh, situations. But um, you just kind of go with your gut, man, and and, and – you pick up, like I said, you pick up little little things about players, and and, um, and you go with it. Um, you know, I've been lucky a lot of times, and then I've and I've uh, obviously I've led in a lot of penalty kicks as well. When you when you, you play twenty years, you're going to face a lot of uh, penalty kicks, and, and you also you also learn a lot more playing a lot uh, a lot of years. So, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Um, all right, well, as long as we got you on one topic you don't know anything to say on, I got another topic I want to bring up. So 
So uh, before you play sporting this year, the team comes up with a marketing campaign. Someone does inside the organization. We hate them. They hate us. Now, PK hears this on the radio, and so he's going nuts with it. Like, really? I mean, you hate us? I mean, that's a little over the top, isn't it? And I would think for a lot of guys on both clubs it might be, but for guys who've been there a long time, uh, there's a story, and it's closed, so it's kind of legendary, and there's no way I know I know you uh, you are. You're not going to confirm or deny it for me. But there's a story out there that maybe Benny Failhaber and Kyle Beckerman got sideways at a U.S. national team practice once upon a time. And then what is out there is there was a preseason game, of all things, a preseason game in Arizona where guys started kicking each other, and it got way out of hand. Does Sporting Kansas City and RSL still really hate each other? hates a, a strong word. Uh, I think it's definitely marketable. Um, I have friends on that team that I still talk to. I've had friends on that team for a while. Um, but do we dislike each other? Do we, do we kind of get uh, flared up before for each game when we know that, that they're, uh, they're next? Of course. Um, they took the championship away from us, and uh, there's been some massive battles. Um on the field, uh, and yeah, there's been some certain players that that have a little bit more um, extra in their tank uh, when we face them. But listen, a game is a game. When I play this long, you get up for these kinds of games. Um, you call them a rival, I don't know, but but they're definitely a team that that you know we get up for. They get up for us. Um, there's going to be some extra kicking. There's going to be some extra trash talk. But again, you know, and, and that's mean. An athlete, it's, it's three points, right? You, you always want to get three points and scratching, kicking, whatever you need to do to do it. That's what we're going to do. We've been in this media business a long time, Nick, and we've come across many guys who've retired over the years, and it seems like almost universal. You ask them, what are they going to miss going forward? And they've pretty much drained everything out of their bodies at the time of their retirement, which is why they end up retiring in the first place. But they'll say they'll miss the locker room fodder, the camaraderie between the guys and all that type of stuff. Does that hold true for you? I think all I've known was, was waking up in the morning and, and going to the locker room and uh, having some banter with the guys or, or talking about the game um, or trying to overcome a, a loss or, of course, of course that's going to be something that I miss you know, a lot. I think for me it's going to be game days, uh, walking onto that field. Uh, I mean, I, I can't just pull one thing I'm going to miss because I feel every day I, I come up with another thing that, man, this is going to be the last time I, I get to do this or that. Um, but being being a team, being being together, being in the locker room is definitely Nick Romano joined us, RSL goalkeeper, down to his final four matches, uh, getting ready to retire at the end of the season, four regular season matches, and then we'll see uh, what happens with the postseason. Um, you were uh, you were at the All Star game. You did an interview <laughs> after the after the game, and you took your gloves off, and that got quite the reaction. You don't usually do it with the local media, but once or twice I've seen what they saw. Do your hands hurt because those fingers aren't pointing in the right direction? <laughs> Yeah, um, they do. I mean, the, as the weather changes and gets a little bit more brisk outside, they tend to ache a little bit more. Um, nothing that I haven't dealt with in the last 10 or 15 years or so. But, um, yeah, there's jokes around the league. There's jokes in the locker room about my fingers. And I think if you 
they go in any other locker room, the goalkeepers are going to have the same or uh, pretty similar fingers that, uh, that I do. And it's just part of the game. It's part of uh, being in the position. You're going to put your, your fingers in some nets. You're going to put your fingers in the ground and get some balls. Um, just part of the position and, and something that uh, I've known that uh, I'm not going to be a, a hand model in the future. <laughs> All right. Well, if you ever run to run into Nick around town, be careful about looking at his fingers unless you have a strong stomach because there's some pain associated with those joints. Holy cow. That, that had to have hurt. Well, Nick, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Nick Romano, RSL goalkeeper, and they are uh, at New England Saturday, and then they'll be home to face the Galaxy with the 10-year celebration, and Javi Morales will be honored, and his number and name will go up on the wall next to Jason Christ, and then they'll play a really big game in the playoff race with the Galaxy. That's Wednesday night. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up, ready for a little college football, PK? No. <laughs> Ryan Abraham. USCfootball.com, beaten in overtime in Provo, and now getting ready to host the Utes. What kind of shape is USC in? We will talk with Ryan Abraham next. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And now, attention, top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Major League Baseball Giants manager Bruce Bochy became the 11th manager to win 2,000 games in his career as the Giants beat the Red Sox 11-3. NFL football, Thursday Night Football, it's the Titans and the Jaguars in Jacksonville. The game kicks at 620 on the NFL Network. You can listen to it on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Saints will not name a starter to replace Drew Brees this week. They will play both Teddy Bridgewater and Taysom Hill to position against the Seattle Seahawks, according to head coach Sean Payton. College football tonight, Houston on the road at Tulane in an AAC showdown. That's 6 o'clock on ESPN. And a diehard Iowa State fan who had a sign-up during the college game day last week asking for donations to replenish his beer supply has received more than $36,000. He's going to donate the money to the University of Iowa's Dead Family Children's Hospital after the gag really took off. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Syringa Networks. Verizon customers, if you're recently notified that some of your telecommunication services will no longer be supported, contact Syringa Networks. Syringa is Utah's fastest-growing premier telecommunications provider. They have a full range of services. Call them today at 385-420-7881. That number again, 385-420-7881. That's Syringa Networks. This, this, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G. It's what you want. Mike Eugenin from The Athletic. Explain this USC Trojan team to me. Are they dangerous? Are they not as good as we thought they were? What is Utah about to see? I think Utah is about to see a team that, if it gets hit in the mouth, can't really respond because it's not very physical. The fact that Utah easily handled a BYU team that beat USC, that, if I'm a Utes fan, I'm thinking, unless we mess up, we are going to physically dominate the line of scrimmage in this game. And I think that's exactly the case. I would be stunned if USC beats Utah. Utah, I think, will be able to run the ball down USC's throat. I think they're going to shut down the USC running game, which means Slovis is going to be running for his life. I think Utah is going to win by at least two touchdowns. Catch Hans and Scotty every day from noon to three. Presented by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are joined by Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com. Lease any handset, get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Ready for some uh, college football coming up on a Friday. It should be fun. Yes, we have many questions to ask you, and I want to start with one that I'm not sure you can answer, but it's really important, and if you can't answer, it's really, we we all want to know, what is the mental state of the USC football team after the overtime loss in Provo? Are they likely to come up, come out fired up, more difficult than ever to compete with and to beat, or... That was a major blow. They may not have recovered, and the Utes are about to double their agony. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. I think when you look at uh, Washington and Conference, they really bounced back from the loss to Cal and just took it to Hawaii the next week. That wasn't the kind of attitude. It wasn't like this chip-on-our-shoulder frustration team, you know, team that we've seen at practice this week. The players we talked to, the coaches we talked to, it was more of like kind of an upbeat, like, hey, we're, you know, Clay Helton said after the game, we're built for – this and it just seemed like the attitude was a little bit different. I'm not, I don't, I'm not sensing they're going to dig deep and say this is a game we have to have. We never should have lost to, to BYU, and I, it's kind of a different approach, I guess. But they've just, you know, Clay Helton starts from the top, trying to be more positive, like, hey, we're going to move on to the next one. Uh, I'm not sure if that's really the right way to go. I think they needed to use that loss as motivation against Utah because this is going to be a much tougher Utah team than what they saw uh, in Provo against BYU. Yeah, I was at the game and I went to the covering uh, the SC portion of it, and I, I totally took that, Ryan. That when Clay Hilton, from the second he sat down, it was all going to be positive, and this is a special group, and this is just a non-conference loss, no big deal. Basically, we're going to fight on to coin the phrase that SC is uh, known for, and I was wondering how much of it was spin. As I watch that game, and as you watch that game, you know more about it than we do. What are things that you think specifically surprised you about the way SC played and didn't get the job done? Well, I think the big thing is when the offensive line for USC is, uh, you know, they patched it around a little bit and, you know, it's probably six or seven deep, but they feel pretty good about those guys. And they played well, I think, in the first two games uh, of the season, but they just did not perform against BYU. Similar defenses when Utah played BYU, where they're dropping eight man, uh, you know, into a zone and having like a you know Russian three guys, it just seemed to really bother uh, USC's front five. And when we saw Utah just really expand the lead in the second half of that game, USC wasn't able to do that. You know, Zach Moss would go off and they just ran the ball and pounded that front that was undermanned. And USC wasn't able to do that. And I, I think they needed to just perform better on the offensive line and be able to inflict their will. Clay Helton said in that press conference too that they ran the ball well. They averaged 3.8 yards a, a carry against a three-man front. I mean, it wasn't a, a overpowering, you know, powerful box. And I'm not sure what you know the issue there was, but to me that was the biggest surprise. I thought this offensive line was going to be better, and they just didn't do that well in that game. And they needed to when they stopped throwing the ball more and ran it. They had to get a better average than you know 3.8 yards when they needed it, especially in overtime. Uh, they just weren't able to run the football, and I think that was the big difference. Have you heard much from Slovis and what his mindset is after throwing three picks? Yeah, it was pretty similar to after the win. I mean, he was he's just like an even-killed kid, you know, and uh, we thought there'd be a difference in him playing on the road and also instead of playing like a, an overmatched uh, man coverage that Stanford played where the USC receivers could do what they wanted, 
Uh, we saw those BYU linebackers kind of drop back and take away some of those intermediate routes that he really liked. And for him, I think it's a lot about the decision-making, make sure you go through the progressions, because they kind of took away what the first couple guys that he was you know, loving to throw to. But you know, the, his attitude's the same. He just wants to kind of bounce back and uh, wipe that one off and, and get on to the next one. We'll see how he plays at home. We'll see what kind of coverages that you know, Utah seems to play a lot of man. Are they going to drop in the zone and try to do some of the same things that BYU did to him? But you know, for an 18-year-old kid, I think he's handling all pretty well. The really highs after Stanford and the lows after losing to BYU. You look at Utah's offense, Tyler Hundley is obviously playing the best ball of his college career. He has been certainly brilliant. You can argue that the competition hasn't been better, hasn't been good enough, uh, but I still think that he has been at the top of his game. With that in mind, he's a different quarterback than when SC played them the last couple years, and this year, so good. Under center more, more of a downhill running attack with Zach Moss. I'm wondering about Utah's defense, because I thought thought BYU did fairly well offensively running the ball. Clearly, in my mind, Utah is better. How do you think that situation is going to play out? Yeah, for Tyler Huntley, I mean, he looks like a different quarterback to me. He's added like 15 pounds of muscle or something, uh, and you know, he's making better decisions. I don't think he's uh, running quite as much, and I think he's you know trying to protect his body more. And USC's really had a problem with quarterbacks who are mobile. Uh, we saw uh, Zach Wilson have a, a nice long touchdown run in the game against USC. And you know, between him and Zach Moss, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Zach Wilson for BYU, between Zach Moss for, for Utah, they're able to get on the edge and, and really make guys miss out there when they get in the space. And USC's had a hard time containing that on the outside. So I think trying to you know stop the, the, the two guys in the backfield are going to be huge for this USC defense. And the, the strengths of what we've seen from Utah seem to be lined up pretty well with the weaknesses from this USC defense. And you look at a Zach Moss who's like leading the nation in like forced break tackles, and USC's had a, you know 15 missed tackles in the, in the game against BYU. So they're going to have to tackle a lot better, certainly have to contain those guys. And I think it's going to start with try to stop the run first and make Tyler Huntley beat you down the field with his arm, which you guys know he can do. But I think they have to take away one of the biggest strengths. And unfortunately for the USC side, that's kind of been one of their weaknesses this year. You're right about that portion of the game, strength versus weakness. What about strength versus strength, the USC receivers against the Utah secondary? Or do you think we really don't get a showdown there because of the way the Utes zone them up with the linebackers or the way they're able to maybe pressure Slovis? Yeah, I think that's got to be – USC has to utilize that. When you're going to go into a battle like this, they're, the, the strongest point of this team is their wide receivers. And they're not sure about Amon Ross St. Brown. If he's going to be able to go, that would be a, a big blow. But, uh, you know, who's Jalen Johnson going to be covering? And, uh, you know, I think Keaton Slope is going to have to go back to what worked against the Stanford game, and it was mostly the passing attack with some run mixed in. And it's a, obviously, you guys know, it's a really good overall secondary from Utah. But USC's wide receivers are ridiculous. You know, they're probably the best in the conference, too. So I think that's where you're going to have to watch this matchup and where Keaton Slovis is going with the ball. He might have to go to a second or third read. Or is he just kind of, when he felt uncomfortable, was he just throwing to the first guy? It didn't matter who was there, if there was a linebacker. You know, in coverage underneath that he didn't see. I think he's definitely got to make sure and go through those because you have to utilize Tyler Vaughn's, Michael Pittman, and if I'm on Ross St. Brown's available because those are the strength of your team. So if you're not doing that, I think you're doing your team a disservice. 
I saw a report this week uh, the other day about 24-7 sports saying that the firing of Helton is imminent, but that the university president doesn't want Urban Meyer. I have no idea of the truthfulness of that. What's your take? Yeah, that was uh, that was from a sports by Brooks. Uh, there was, you know, um, article. Interesting that they they, they kind of uh, put that out there. I, it's hard to say at this point. I think you know they need to get an athletic director in. I think that's going to be a huge part of it. But Carol Fultz, it's pretty clear the new president is coming in and is wanting to make a lot of changes. I mean, they, she came into the university with a lot of problems. I think you come in and look at it and go, wow, there's a, this is a great place. But there's a lot of bad stuff going on. So I think she's the start of the process. One, you know, forcing Lynn Swan out of there. The next step, big step will be bringing in an athletic director. And I think the clock is ticking because you don't know. I mean, USC's got Utah and at Washington and at Notre Dame. I mean, they could be two and four after that stretch. And you want to really be ready with an athletic director as soon as you possibly can if you have to make some sort of change. So I think... She knows that everything's on the clock. I don't know if anything's been decided like that definitively, but it seems like things are in motion, and uh, the, these next three games are all important for, for Clay Helton and probably the entire athletic department. If they lose to the youths, you think two and four is inevitable? I mean, we saw Washington lose at home, but I still think they're, they're you know, that was weird, lightning-delayed game. I still think they're a better squad. Um, you know, I think Notre Dame's really good, too. It. This is a must-win, I think, for for Clay Hilton and USC because yeah, if you're you're staring two and the four right in the face, and after five and seven, that's you know inconceivable. You just can't think of something like that. And to me, the BYU game was key because there were certain games you just you couldn't afford to lose because you're coming off that. And that's why you guys talked about when the way he was talking in the in the post-game presser is just like, no, I don't I don't think that would be acceptable at all. You're a, a team with more talent. You had all those hiccups last year. You couldn't afford to have any this year. So. Right now, I, yeah, I think it's a must-win for Utah. Cause if you lose this one, it's it's hard to picture them going into the bye week not being two and three, and then you know losing coming out of that at, at, at Notre Dame going two and four, and then you know I, the fan base will be irate at that point. I just don't think there's any way Clay Hilton could save his job if, if he was even be still a coach after you know two and three going into the bye week. That might be a time where they make some kind of change too. Yeah, you speak of that fan base, and back from my experience years ago working from the Daily Breeze and the Paul Hackett time and some other times where it didn't turn well, I've seen the crowd turn on those guys during the game, after the game. If they have some struggles, how do you think the crowd will respond? Well, the, the, what, what are you guys going to watch Friday night is that because the, the Fox pregame show and halftime show is going to be there, uh, you have, uh, you know, Reggie Bush will be back in the Coliseum, you know, covering a USC game. He hasn't done that before. He hasn't been around because the NCAA doesn't allow him to be associated with the university. Matt Leinart's there, but Urban Meyer is going to be there as well. And that's the big rumor always going around. You know, he's coached at Utah, obviously won championships at Florida and, and Ohio State. Are they going to start cheering for Urban if USC's down big at halftime when he's doing the halftime show? I mean, this is there could be some really crazy drama with the crowd uh, last year, they flew a plane over the Coliseum asking for Clay to be fired. If they're losing in halftime and they got Urban Meyer in the building, like I don't even know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm curious how many people are going to be in the building Friday at 7 o'clock Mountain Time, which is 6 o'clock Pacific Time, people getting off work, trying to get through traffic to get there. Is this going to be a full house? Is it going to be two-thirds full? What's it going to look like? I think probably closer to two-thirds full. They had, uh, so the new capacity is about 77,000. They had like a little over 60, like 62 or something for 
Stanford, but that was there was a little bit of optimism then. That optimism, I think, is gone. So be, between a Friday night game and uh, you know the team losing at BYU, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it might be somewhere in the 50s, which is a shame for a matchup like this. But you know, the Reggie Bush, Bush and Urban Meyer factor, maybe more people come. Uh, you'll probably see a lot of people kind of arriving in the second quarter just coming off of work. But it's not that the ideal situation to have a, a, a Friday night 6 p.m. game in downtown L.A. It's just, uh, it just doesn't work with traffic all that well. Jack Sears was a quarterback who was recruited by Utah. I watched him play in the ASU game last year. I thought he looked pretty good. And now he's in the transfer portal, and I believe he's scheduled to graduate here in December. you have any idea what his plans are? No, you know, it's a, it's a shame because he's, uh, I thought he was a really talented quarterback. They, they named him like the number four on, you know, number four in the depth chart. And I think he was really insulted by that. A lot of the fan base wanted to see him come out and because he played well at the Arizona State game, um, you know, to come out and actually compete for the starting spot. And for him to finish fourth, it left a lot of people kind of scratching their heads. So we haven't heard he's definitely going to graduate. Uh, I think he's only taking a class or two right now. So he's, He's just kind of working out on his own, and we haven't heard where he's going to end up yet, but it could be somewhere, uh, you know, who knows, in the in the Pac-12, and the USC might see him on the schedule again. Have you got a, uh, a feeling for anybody else in the conference after watching them play a, a few games here? I mean, some of the teams still haven't been tested. Washington State uh, battled with Houston for a little while, but won the game, and their, their other games have <laughs> been pretty straightforward. So, you got any takeaways yeah. <laughs> on on the top of the conference? Any different than you did a month ago? Yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, Washington State. I feel a little bit better about. You just weren't sure. You're like, oh, could it be the next Gardner Minshew? Like, you, okay, they're fine. Usually, they're going to be fine at quarterback. You know, Cal going three and zero again for the the third time. They have a little bit more offense this year, so maybe there's a chance, and they do have that big win uh, over Washington, Oregon. I, I mean. The way they came back and played against Nevada, that's another team that just took out their frustrations losing to Auburn. Uh, I'm still waiting to see. I, I kind of still feel like Washington's going to be the winner of the, of the North. And, you know, in the South, it's kind of the way you thought. ASU maybe didn't expect to be uh, 3-0, and but they're going to be all these NFL type of games the whole time. And they're, I think Herm Edwards like 5-1 and one in games that have been decided by three points or less. And that, that's not going to be able to continue, but... You know, kudos to them because they've been able to win those really close ones. So it's just still, you know, Utah is still the, the winner for me in the South. Um, you know, USC has the most talent, but I just think Utah's got the edge. So in the North, it's a little, you know, more interesting, I think, than it was before. Could it be this year, the Washington State year, where they finally get over the hump and win the Apple Cup? Until they do that, it's hard to pick them. But I'm still going to go with Washington in the North right now. Well, Ryan, once again, we appreciate a few minutes. I mean, we're getting to the point where we might need to put your name on the show. You're on so often. Thanks for coming on again. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. All right. DJ PK and Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. So you listen to what he says, PK. Does it change the way you're thinking about this game? Say anything, or did you pretty much reinforce what you already believed? I like what he said about Utah's strengths going up against USC's weaknesses, which is why I give them the edge, which is why they're most likely favored, too, even though they have to go out on the road, is that the way the offense is playing, this is never going to be a air raid offense for the Utes. Forget it. And now I think that with Ludwig on board, Kyle has the guy that he probably should have had all along. And they've never been more connected between a coordinator and the head coach as far as what their philosophies are, particularly this team with a running back the caliber of Zach Moss and Tyler Huntley playing at 
the most efficient level that he could play. I don't know if he could play better than what he's done. Right now, he is the right guy for what they're trying to get done and what the philosophy of the offense is. And it's really, really clicking. It's never going to be where they're going to just go crazy and score 55 points, you know, maybe if they have a couple turnovers or what have you. But for what they need to win football games, they have an excellent combination there and that's why I think that the Utes are going to be favored or why they're going to win the game and why I think going forward you know it could change uh and there I don't think they're going to go undefeated but why I think I'm probably going to pick them every game maybe that Washington game uh in November would be different but we'll wait until we get there at that time and so other than that what he's saying is exactly the strength of the ball club, which is why I think they're going to be able to win. Now, SC get a couple long passes there, get a couple of drives, a missed tackle on a slant and what have you, and those kids are capable, obviously, of taking it all the way. So I'm not exactly you know just totally brimming with confidence. This is not like the three games that they played where I would have been shocked and stunned if they lost. It's right. not that level whatsoever. But still, in my mind, it's a comfortable feeling going into the Coliseum that they should win the game. And if they play the game that they're very much capable, they don't don't have to play beyond they just have to do what they're capable of doing and extremely capable of doing and i think the result will be positive and i think ryan abraham reinforced that um, along the lines of what i'm already thinking i think i agree with a lot of what you said the only thing i tweak is uh i don't know if it's comfortable going into the coliseum i'll go as comfortable as it can be going into the coliseum because in the past, in the present, and in the foreseeable future, USC is going to be loaded with athletes. And even if you think you've got the matchups in the upper hand, they got big play guys who can flip a game on its ear in a heartbeat. So they'll always be that to deal with. I don't think they'll ever drop to the point, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take these words back later, but I don't think they'll ever drop to the point that UCLA is at. It's a little hard to believe UCLA is there right now, quite frankly, but they don't have the playmakers to flip a game on its ear the way USC yeah, does. Yeah, but when I look Look at the two teams, man. I'll put Zach Moss against anybody they got. I'll put Tyler Huntley now. Of course, this is a a first-year freshman, so it's not necessarily a fair comparison, a senior versus a freshman. But his athletic ability, I'm putting it right there. I'll put Bradley and I's athletic ability up against anybody that they have. I'll put Jalen Johnson's athletic ability up against anybody that they have. So, sure, yeah, they got athletes galore, but it's not like this is a bunch of bums running around here in red. Which is why I'll pick Utah, and which is why I would say as comfortable as you can be, because they do have all those guys. All right, DJ and PK broadcasting live this morning, Fox Hollow. We are in Utah County, American Fork. Chase Media's golf tournament is underway. We got to force him step into the tenth tee right now. The sun is up over the mountains, and the day is warming up. Thank goodness. Ben Craner's with us. He's the creative director there. He's also a tough guy. He's out here in short sleeves and shorts when it was about 48 <laughs> degrees this morning. Burning calories. That's the only way I can think about doing it. Oh, is that what you were doing? <laughs> that was a like part that. of the weight loss plan? Yeah, absolutely. Make the body work overtime just to heat itself up? <laughs> yes. So, nice. a creative director. You were telling us sometimes you have to put out fires. You love different companies coming with different challenges. Yeah. yeah. What is one that would like surprise people that's kind of out of the box maybe where it was just not the norm where... Hmm. Because we all get that people would come in and, hey, we're trying to figure out how to sell more cars. We're trying to sell more hamburgers. We're trying to sell more whatever. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> Is there an unusual product maybe you've worked with? Yeah. I mean, there's. to be honest, we've, we've got a whole gamut of crazy 
different things that most people probably don't even realize exist. Um, we, one of our clients um, makes a freeze dryer that people can preserve food the last 25 years. And when we think about, you know, how can I make that an interesting, relevant marketing message? It's a challenge. Uh, but, man, they're, they're killing it. Harvest Right is the brand, and they're, they're doing a great job here in Utah. Um, I mean, it's, there's all kinds of crazy things out there. That's, again, part of why I love what I do. It's hard. It, it's funny. I see in the marketing world, I see people with campaigns all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to put together a campaign that um, is relevant, that's sticky, that drives customer advocacy. And that that's really what what keeps us rolling every day, trying to come up with something new. And it does it, does a, a good idea work across all media, or do you need something different for radio, different for TV, different for billboards, different for digital? Mm-hmm. Or when you have a good idea, is it usually a home run across everything? Man, an, an integrated campaign, something that spans multiple types of media, has a common thread that rolls through all of it. So you want to make sure that it feels like it's not a bunch of disparate campaigns, but all one campaign. But there are definitely things that you need to do in each discipline to drive the right behavior. I think when I look at marketing campaigns, marketing 101 is to have a relevant message to the right audience at the right time. And doing that is a difficult task. In digital, it's easier because you can you can break down very specific markets. In radio, it's a wider net. You reach a big, passionate fan base. Uh, and you've got to have tactics that relate to specific medias that really drive the right behavior. It's, it's, it's a fun game to play. Ben Craner, Chase Media. The golf tournament is underway. And we'll have more with Ben throughout the show right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Join Scotty and Hans Tuesday, September 24th from noon to 3 at the re-grand opening for the Mountainland Supply Far West Store. Bigger and better, 3124 North, State Route 126, that's 20th West. In Far West, free hats, raffle prizes, and barbecue lunch. DJ and PK talking a ton of football this morning. Just had Ryan Abraham on from uscfootball.com. we got the question of the morning out. How excited are you for the state? Can you root for all three teams? They're all big games, and none of them overlap, so you can watch them all. They're all easy to track. There's no uh, tough-to-find channels or websites. The uh, FS1's got the Utes game Friday night at 7. The Cougars are 1.30 on ABC against Washington. And then it's the Mountain West Conference opener with Utah State at San Diego State Saturday night on CBS Sports Network. P.K. Daniel says he's calling it now. It's a clean sweep for all three in-state teams. Yeah, if that were the case, that might be the greatest regular season Saturday that we've had. Well, obviously it's Friday, so we'll just go weekend then uh, for the Utes because if they got all three, then that would really be an accomplishment. And put all three in a position to have a really, really good season. And I think for Utah, particularly if the way the way if they win the game, if they dominate, if they literally go down there and just dominate the Trojans to where the 
start of the second quarter, you think, oh, man, this game, we're just playing out the string here. I mean, Utah really owns this game, and SC doesn't have much of a chance to win. If that's the case, then Utes are minimum going to the Rose Bowl. Michael goes the other way. Michael posting on our Facebook page, DJ and PK. More like all three lose, especially BYU. Ha ha. I mean, if they all lose, what's especially? You know, it's like, I mean, if Kyle Whittingham walks out of the Coliseum with a loss, you say, yeah, but BYU especially. (laughs) What does especially mean? Either win or you lose. Well, they'll especially lose. I mean, so I think he's saying that if he had to pick one, he would go with the Cougars, I guess. If all three lose, I'm I'm not going to work next week. I'll I'll just that's it. You're shutting it down. Yeah, yeah. I'm out. Too negative for me. No, come on. Your jersey negative. You should be thriving on that. It's like as you once screamed, "The air I breathe." (laughs) Yeah, but that's too negative. I can't have that. I cannot have it. That would be the ultimate downer. I don't think you're going to have it. I think if you just pick the numbers and know the matchups, I think the most likely outcome is that two of the three win. I think the question is, what's more likely? Do they sweep, or does only one of the three win? I, I think the least likely thing is for them to sh- get shut out. They've got two of the teams are favored. I think someone will come through. I'd be really surprised if it was an over. That might be that might that might be too much, not just for you, but for the listeners. They might be out of here next week. That's more likely. All right, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone. We're joined by Ben Craner, Chase Media Creative. Director and audit. You audit companies. How does that work in advertising? Well, it's it's pretty simple, really. We go in and see what marketing tactics you're using and implementing uh, to drive the business. And then we come back and say, okay, these are effective. These are things you may not know about. These are things that we can do to make you even more effective. And these are things that will last longer and drive the right behavior. How much can you borrow from other campaigns and borrow from what you see? Are there certain principles maybe that are, are good across oh, yeah. all kinds of campaigns? Or do you really have to start inside the company, the business, the advertiser, and then kind of go organically from there? You know, we, we actually, depending on the client, we come at it from different directions. There are times when someone will come to us and say, you know what? I saw what you guys are doing for Purple on the side of the freeway, and we think that's really clever. What can we do that's similar? Um, other businesses might come to us and say, Hey, we have a, a hard-to-move product. It's targeted toward people who are very specific, and it's hard to reach them. What can you do to help us, and how can how can we be more effective in doing it? Uh, so we're going to do an audit on the company. We're going to do research on who that customer is and where to best track them and, and reach them. Uh, so it, it's different depending on what the business is and what they're trying to sell for. So if, uh, if a listener right now thinks, hey, my company needs one of these audits, what do they do? Uh, the best way to, go, to do it is to reach out to the big boss, Mike Chase himself. Uh, Mike has the ability to come in, bring the entire team, and figure out what it is that we can do to, to help you. Um, Mike's been around for a long time. He started the, the agency 27 years ago, uh, and I'm going to give you his personal number. He's going to kill me for this. But the best way to reach Mike Chase is 801-682-4200. Call him. We'll set up an audit. We'll come in and figure out what, what's going on with the business and how we can drive more behavior. Ben Craner, he's at Chase Media. The golf tournament underway here at Fox Hollow. We are on the 10th tee, and here we go right here at Backswing Pressure. I wonder if you can hear me. I'm in my golf whisper oh, right now. he's got now. it. He's got it. Look at the athleticism on that guy. Holy cow. That actually wouldn't have <laughs> bad. That actually wouldn't have bad at all. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.